Acts chapter 1, Jesus told his disciples that they would receive power when the Holy Spirit came upon them. And they would be witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Chapter 2, the fulfillment of their promise comes when the Holy Spirit falls on the 120 that are gathered in this upper room. And they are filled with the Holy Spirit, baptized with the Holy Spirit. And they start to do miraculous things. Then last week we looked at the priorities of a gospel-centered church. Acts chapter 2, verse 42, the text says that they were devoted to the apostles' doctrine, to fellowship, the breaking of bread, to the prayers. And they shared, everybody had everything in common. And one of the questions came up in our group, does that mean that they were all alike? No, that's not what he means by common. He means they shared everything. And one of what they did was they sold their property and possessions so that there was no need in the community. And that's how they were transformed by the gospel. And so now we're going to get an illustration because last week we looked at it, it says that the people that were around them, all the people stood in awe because the apostles were doing signs and wonders. They were performing miracles. And so now Luke is going to give us the first example of a miracle that happens after the church has been formed. The first physical miracle. And we're going to see that here in Acts chapter 3. And we're going to look at the whole chapter today. I think that's how Luke has structured this section in the book of Acts. We'll look at the whole chapter. and We'll go through the first four verses of chapter 4, actually. So here, here's how the story begins in Acts chapter 3, verse 1. It says, now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into to the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. Verse 6, but Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and, and raised him up. And immediately his feet and his ankles were, were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder at what happened to him. And while he clung to Peter and John, all the people utterly astounded ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, men of Israel, why, why do you wonder at this? Why do you stare at us? 
Though, as though by our own power or piety, we have made him walk. No, 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 no. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you kill the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. Verse 17. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God for told by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Verse 19. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom, whom heaven must receive until the time of restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. And Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him and whatever he tells you. And it shall be every soul who does not listen to their prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaim these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your father, saying to Abraham and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. And as they were speaking to the people, the priest and the captain of the temple, the Sadducees came upon them greatly annoyed because they were teaching their, the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. This is the word of the Lord. Let's try that again. This is the word of the Lord. Oh, there we go. You may be seated. This morning, I want to talk to you about there is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus. Look with me, first of all, the first 10 verses, I want us to look at the emancipation of the paralytic. That word emancipation means to be set free, to, to be delivered. The text tells us that it was 3 p.m. in the afternoon. It was the ninth hour, our text says. The Jewish day started at 6 a.m. That's when the sunrise was uh, around. And so it would have been around 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Peter and John were going up to the temple because they were to devote it to the prayer. And, and, and so as they are approaching or preparing 
to enter the temple, they see this man lying at this gate called Beautiful. And, and while they are preparing to enter into this gate, this, this man who has been laid daily at the gate, he does what is often his custom. He looks at Peter and John and he asks them for financial assistance. And Peter and John, they, they looked intently at this man. They, they stared him down. And Peter and John, the text says that, 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 that they told him, I don't have any silver and gold. I'm broke as a joke today. They probably didn't have any money because they were they had sold their property and possessions. That's what we studied last week. And so they had everything in common. And so he says, silver and gold, I do not have. But what I do have, I'm going to give it to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. What is it, Peter? What are you talking about when you say, I don't have silver and gold, but what I do have? I'm going to give to you. Peter, what is it that you have that you can give to this man? Peter, I think, would say it was power that had been given to me by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Peter and the rest of the apostles had been entrusted with power from Jesus Christ to heal the sick, to to raise the dead, to, to cast out demons. So Peter says to this man here in our text, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Before I get to the the heart of our sermon, let me say, isn't it amazing that in the first century, Peter and John could say, silver and gold have I none. But in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. I think it's an indictment on the New Testament church. We can no longer say silver and gold have I none. The church at large has plenty of silver and gold. We can no longer say that. But we also can no longer say rise up and walk. The, the church has, that has, is not as powerful, as influential as it used to be. And shame on us. That we can no longer declare that in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, lives can be changed. So he says, in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. What does it mean, this whole phrase, in the name of Jesus? Because most of us, when we pray, we pray, we, 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 we give adoration to God our Father, confession of sin, thanksgiving, and we make our request on the God. And before we end our prayer, we say, in the name of Jesus. Amen. So is that some magical formula to try to get God to do our will? When we say in the name of Jesus, the way it's used in the Bible, it means that on the authority and the power of Jesus, as a representative of Jesus, the name stood for both the person, the attributes, and their authority. So he says in the name of Jesus, by the authority and the power of Jesus, you will be cured. Sometimes, a lot of times, I use my kids as my messaging service. At times, I don't want to yell all the way to the back of the house to tell BJ to come take out the trash. 
which is almost every day. So what I'll do is I'll get the kid that's the closest, Brianna. And I say, Brianna, go tell BJ, I said, he needs to take out the trash. Or if it's late at night, not if it's bath time, I'll say, Brianna, go tell your brother it's time to take a bath. That's the worst one. Actually, I don't know which one's worse for that boy. Trash or bathing? Bathing. And so typically, this is how it goes down. Brianna, go tell your brother it's time to take a bath. Brianna scurries back to the, to the back of the room and she says, BJ, daddy said it's time to go take a bath. Nine times out of ten, the response is, ugh. Sometimes, BJ thinks I'm going to forget, I guess, that he's supposed to take a bath. And so BJ waits until he gets another message. This time, it's me coming. It's coming straight from me. And what I have to do is, and I have to, by this time, he's no longer BJ, he's Brandon Reddick, Jr. Now, I don't know how it works in your house, but if you get called by your full name, you're in trouble. So, Brandon, Dion Reddick Jr., get up here right now. Lord, now I got to raise my voice. No, I got to preach on Sunday. So, so he, he comes up to the room, sir. Did your sister come back there? This is me talking now. Did your sister come back there and tell you I said it was time to take a bath? Yes, sir. That's the I'm confused look. Okay, you look in a couple, like, am I the only one that's lost right now? Your sister told you that I said, go take a bath. Why didn't you do it? By this time, BJ, is, he's just speechless. He's forgot how to use his words. He just looks there. Drives his mom and I nuts. What is my response to my son? Son, if your sister comes to you and says to do something because daddy said so, your sister is acting in my place. The same authority that I have, your sister now has that authority as my messenger. And so essentially what your sister does, when she comes to your room, she says, in the name of your daddy, rise up and go bathe. And to obey Brianna is to obey the daddy and vice versa. The same way with the name of Jesus. When we show up and we say, do something in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, you can be safe. In the name of Jesus, your life can be changed. In the name, we're saying by the authority and the power invested us through our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And church, all I want to simply tell you is that there is power in the name of Jesus. Later on in chapter 4, next week, we'll find out it's by no other name that men are saved. There's power to save. So if you need forgiveness of your sins this morning, there's power in the name of Jesus. If your marriage needs restoring, there is power in the name of Jesus. 
Church, if you need deliverance from some addiction, some chain that's that's got you bound, there is power in the name of Jesus. There is wonder-working power in the name of Jesus. It is by that name that we have access to the presence of God. It is by that name Jesus said, whatever you ask in my name, that I will do. It's by that name that our prayers will be answered. Sometimes it may be yes, sometimes it may be no, sometimes it may be wait, but God will hear and answer our prayers. All I'm trying to tell you is that there is power in the name of Jesus. Church, it's the name of Jesus. It's the sweetest name I know. Oh, how I love the name of Jesus. I've told you before, Grandma used to say, the more I call him, the better I feel. Jesus. Y'all looking better already. Jesus. He, Jesus. My, my, the bridge over a troubled water. Jesus. My Alpha and Omega. Jesus. My, 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 my water when I'm thirsty. Jesus. There's power in the name of Jesus. So it is by the name of Jesus, the authority and power of Jesus that Peter says, I've got that. So rise up and walk. And the text says, remember that this man had been lame from his mother's womb. Later on, we're going to find out that this man at this time was at least 40 years old. So for 40 years, this man has been dealing with this lame, crippled, handicapped condition. His life has been completely changed. Church, the significance of this miracle, I think, is that I want you to know that Jesus has the power to transform any life. No no matter where you are in your walk with Christ, whether you are an, an unbeliever, a skeptic, or you've been walking for the last 40 years, Jesus has the power to transform God. This man's life is completely different because of Jesus. That's the hope we have today. That's that's the hope that we offer to you, is that Jesus can transform your life. So we see the emancipation of this man. But then, so these, the, 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 the text says, Peter takes this man's hand, gives him a hand up, not a hand out. You you wrestle with that. I won't go further on that. He gives him a hand up. The text says this man goes from, from lying to leaping. He is walking and praising God. By the way, when God has transformed your life, that's the proper response. To give God praise for your transformation. So he's leaping. And now all the people, they're looking at this man, they're like, wait a minute, uh-uh. That's the one I just walked by because, you know, church people, we ain't generous. Ooh, y'all was supposed to laugh at that joke. That's conviction. That's all right. I said, that's the man that's been lying there at the gate called Beautiful every day asking us for alms. It, that can't be him. No, no. That's him. That's him. I know him. I've seen him every day. That's him. And they are standing there now in wonder and amazement. People all are standing amazed at the transformation of your life. That's free. That's not even in my notes. And so now, 
they go from looking at this man to looking at Peter and John. Because now they're trying to figure out what happened. How did this man go from being crippled to leaping and praising God? And so Peter now is going to go from, he's going to give uh, the explanation in verses 11 through 18 about what's happened to this man. He opens by giving the proper credit in his explanation. He gives the proper credit in his explanation. The, the crowds, they look, they're looking for someone to give credit to. They're looking for someone to, to idolize. They, they're looking for someone to celebrate, to be, make a celebrity. And, and Peter says, wait, y'all looking at us like it was our own power that healed this man or, or our own piety or our own godliness that healed this man. But that, it, wasn't, it had nothing to do with us. It had everything to do with God. Friends, it's important that we give proper credit, or rather glory, to whom it actually belongs. Glory belongs to God. And this is important because at our core church, we are all glory thieves. At our core we are all glory thieves. We want glory for ourselves. We want people to approve us, to esteem us, to, to think highly of us, to, to celebrate us. I think this is something what Paul was getting at in Romans 3.23 when he says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Because we're, we're glory thieves. And every chance we get, church, we should give credit, glory, where it's due. That's to God. Here, here Peter says he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our forefathers. Why, why does he describe God in this way? Because he's invoking covenant language. He's saying that this is the God who made a covenant with Abraham first, and it was reaffirmed through all of his sons. What was that covenant? The covenant that God says, I'm going to make you great. I'm going to give you a land. I'm going to make you uh, into a nation. And through you in this nation, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So he's, he's letting them know that what God is doing is fulfilling co covenant promises right now. The Abrahamic covenant. So he says, the glory for the miracle done to this man goes, it goes to God. So he first gives the proper credit. It's not us, it's God. He moves from the proper credit in his explanation to highlighting the people's crimes. I'm in the text, I'm in the text. Peter says, God glorified his servant Jesus. Now, by the way, this, this is significant when we talk about the servant Jesus, it's significant because he's proclaiming, Peter is proclaiming to a Jewish, Jewish audience, excuse me, that Jesus Christ was the promised suffering servant that was prophesied by the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah, he, he prepares the people saying, God's going to send a Messiah, but he's not going to be the one you expect. He's going to be a suffering servant. Both of those I guess you can say are oxymoronic 
Because for, for a Messiah, uh, they, the, the Jewish people were expecting somebody that, to come who was regal. And, and, and they wanted him to come in riding on a horse to be their, their political savior. But Isaiah prophesied, no, he's going to be a suffering servant. And that suffering servant was Jesus. And now God has glorified him. Peter is reminding them that they, that, that, that whom God chose to be the Messiah, they murdered and rejected. Look at me with, at their, their crimes. First, Peter says, you delivered him over, or, or rather you handed him over to the rulers. Secondly, you denied, you rejected Christ in the presence of Pilate. Third, you preferred a murderer over the author of life. Pilate, he's trying to get out of this. Remember, when, when Jesus is on trial before his crucifixion, he's trying to get out of this because he says, I find no fault in this man. I can't, I, I really, he's not guilty of anything. But, but the crowd is saying, no, we, 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 you got to do something. And so Pilate, to try to get rid of, to, to diffuse the situation to, and, and to de-escalate it and just to move on from it, he says, all right, here's what I'll do. Here's Barabbas. Barabbas is guilty of murder. You can have uh, Barabbas rather than Jesus in this crowd. He says, rather than Jesus, We'll take Barabbas. Let me give you some free stuff real quick. Without divine intervention, we'll always choose Barabbas. We'll always choose something else over Jesus. Somebody else over Jesus. And so this is what Peter is saying. Remember, when Pilate offered you a murderer, a man who was actually guilty, you took the guilty man over the innocent man. Peter showing them clearly that you are guilty of the murder of an innocent man. Essentially, you all are responsible for the murder of the Messiah. Though they killed Christ, the text says God raised him from the dead. In other words, Peter's making sure they know that the resurrection is not a myth. It, it, it's reality because we are witnesses of that. What Peter is actually doing in his explanation is he's using this opportunity to share the gospel. He tells them about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. What's the significance of this for us? Church, friends, Without Christ, we are all condemned criminals. Without Christ, we are all condemned criminals. We, we've broken the law of God. We, we are guilty of high crimes. We, we, we've chosen to worship the creature rather than the creator. We're, we're, we're guilty of high crimes, but the good news from heaven on today's church is that there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. 
You missed a good spot to say amen. Because though we are without Christ condemned criminals, we, we are guilty of breaking the law. God has dealt with our sin, our crimes in full by paying the penalty for our sins on the cross. He hung, he bled, he died for all of our crimes. All of our crimes were hung. They were nailed to the cross. Hallelujah to the Lamb. But now, so because we are trusting and believing in Jesus Christ, we are no longer under condemnation, but we have been freed from that and declared not guilty. So he says, let me give you the proper credit. Let me share with you your crimes. Oh, by the way, let me get back to my main point. Let me give you the paralytics, the paralytics cure. He finally makes it back to his main point. He says, it was by faith in the name of Jesus that this man has been healed. There it is again, the name of Jesus. Church, I told you that there is power in that name. Notice here that we are seeing a theme early on in Acts. It is by faith in Jesus that men are saved. Not good works, but faith. Faith, church, is the appropriate response to the proclamation of the gospel. So he says, we see here in this section of Scripture the emancipation. We see the explanation. Let's end with the exhortation of the text. Verses 19 through 26. He says, therefore, based on everything that's happened, based on everything that I've told you, here's your response. Repent. Repent. It's, it's a change in direction. In other words, repentance is it's an abandonment of an old way of thinking, an old way of believing, and an old way of behaving. I'm abandoning that old lifestyle and I'm accepting this new way of thinking, believing, and behaving. He, in other words, he's saying the proper response to the gospel is for you to repent of your rejection of the Messiah. You, you need to repent of the ignorance of Jesus, of your ignorance, of Jesus being the Christ. And so he gives them this urgent admonishment, this urgent request, this exhortation to change your mind about who Christ is. Repent. And what's interesting here in Acts, he says, chapter 3, verse 19, he says, repent and turn back. In other words, be converted. Turn from evil to God. Turn from the power of Satan to, to God. Turn your heart back to God. That's the proper response to the gospel. What's the purpose then for our repentance? He gives it to us. He says, first of all, when you repent and you turn back, there will be forgiveness of sin. Here's how Peter says it. He says, repent, verse 19, and turn back so that your sins may be blotted out. Okay. All right, I got to explain blotting out real quick because y'all all be running around here right now if y'all know what this meant. The term for blotted out means to, to wipe away, to, to erase, to obliterate. 
It was often used to describe the act of um, washing papyrus paper to remove letters written in ink. In, in, in ancient times, ink did not soak into the paper. It just sat on the surface. And so when the person writing on that paper needed to remove something or write something new, he could literally take the ink that was on the paper and blot it out. And there would never be any trace or any record of what was on the paper previously. Ooh, y'all gonna make me preach in here. Essentially, he says, Peter says, when you repent and you are converted and you turn back to God, what happens in heaven is God takes the record of your high crimes against heaven and he, he literally wipes them away so that there's no longer any trace of evidence of your high crimes because they've been forgiven. So he says, when you repent and you turn back, there's this abandonment. When there's this abandonment of an old way and the acceptance of this new way, this new way being Jesus, he says, your sins are forgiven. That is our greatest need is for our sins to be forgiven. Now, let me just give you this right here. What Peter is uh, exhorting them to, he's saying, not just individually, you need to individually repent, but as a nation, we need to repent. That's what he was saying to the Jewish. And isn't it crazy that in 2016, that same message is appropriate for us as a nation? We need to repent. He says, you'll be forgiven for your sins. And then, not only after that, there will be times of refreshing. That essentially means that's a period of time that includes rest and refreshment. It's, it's the, the, the uh, we are embarking or getting into this new age, this new age of salvation. So there's, there's forgiveness of sins. There'll be times of refreshing. But then he says, when we repent as a nation and as individuals, verse 20, section B, he says that he may sin, that's God, that he may sin the Christ appointed for you. In other words, he says, when there's repentance and conversion, Christ can come back. He says, when we repent as individuals and as a nation, he's talking to Jews now, he says, I expect God to send Christ back to make all things right. There's this time gap here that we see. Repentance, Peter says, and then Christ can return. So what's happening between the repentance and Christ returning? That's called grace. Thanks be to God. This, this proves that God is long-suffering. God is patient. God is waiting on you to turn to Jesus. From this old way of living, this old way of thinking, from trusting in whatever it is you're trusting to make you right with God. God says, I'm waiting on you. But don't take advantage of my grace. It's God's message to you on the day. Because yes, while there is a period of time where I'm just being patient, there is an appointed time for my, my son to return. 
And when he returns, it will be too late to repent and turn back. And the Bible teaches us that no man knows the day nor the hour when he will return. And so I exhort you, my friends, don't play Russian roulette with your soul. Don't take advantage of God's patience, God's grace. And, and I don't know about you, but even for those of us who have responded to the gospel by repenting and trusting in Jesus Christ, this is a time for us just to give God praise for waiting on us to, get, to, to come to our senses to, to, as the, the, uh, the, the, the lad did in Luke 15, that he went to a far country and finally he came to himself and realized I'm living in a hog pen when my father is a king. So I'm thankful for God's patience. But if you are here today, don't wait. Don't hesitate. Respond to the good news that Jesus has dealt with your crimes in full by trusting in Jesus Christ. It is not too late. The fact that you are here is evidence that it is not too late to be saved from the wrath of God. So then, he says, essentially, he gets back to this, this covenant language. Because remember, when he opened the, the, his, his speech, he says, it's not us that did this, not by our power or our piety, but it was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I told you, it was the beginning of, uh, he was invoking covenant language. Now he's going to say, remember the covenant with Abraham that it was through Abraham and through this nation that would, that would come out of Abraham that, that all the families of the earth will be blessed. And he reminds them, he says, you are sons of Abraham. You are children of that covenant. He says, the blessing has come. That blessing is Jesus. But the only way to enjoy that blessing is to turn from your wickedness and from your evil. So then what is the result? Skip to chapter 4, verse 4. Luke is going to give us a summary statement once again to let us know that he's moving on to a new section. Here's how he ends this section. He says, Those who heard the word believe. And the number of men came to about 5,000. What do we see, church? We see the church multiplying. Time and time again, Peter's, um, excuse me, Luke, the author of the book of Acts, is going to make a statement like this. And those who heard the word leave to let us know that the church is multiplying. Friends. I know these messages early on are starting to sound all alike. Blame that on Luke, not me. The key to multiplication is the gospel. Those who heard the word, the word of the gospel, they believe. That's why we cannot be ashamed of the gospel. Because Paul in Romans, he says, the gospel it is the power of God that leads to salvation. You're here today. 
and you haven't yet responded to the gospel, the application for you, the take-home point for you today is repent. Turn by trusting in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. There is no crime so heinous that is above the grace of God. To that I say thank you, Jesus. No matter how dark your path, no matter how grave your sin, God can forgive your sin, will forgive your sin if you trust in Jesus Christ. You are guilty of the highest crime, which is sin against the most holy God, the most perfect and righteous God. The only way for that sin to be removed, to be blotted out, is through Jesus Christ, who died in your place as your substitute. He was buried and he rose on the third day. While this passage is primarily evangelistic in nature, I think it has applications for us as believers as well. Yes, we are saved, but even as saved as we are, we still break God's law. We, we, so therefore, we need to repent and turn back to God in faithfulness. For some, of our, for some of us, our sin may not be as apparent as others. We're guilty of pride, backsliding, envy, jealousy, unforgiveness. Those are all matters of the heart that can actually be seen. So I think the application for us is repent. Confess to God your sin. Turn from it. And remember the gospel. That God has dealt with your sins in full through Jesus Christ our Savior. Finally, I pray that we as the British church are motivated to be witnesses of Jesus Christ like these apostles. And I am confident, worship team, you can come back. And I am confident that if we are faithful to being witnesses, that we will see our church multiply like that of their early church. Maybe not thousands, but we will see God-directed, gospel-driven multiplication. New life resurrected life. But we must be committed to the gospel. The, the message of the gospel and the meaning of the gospel and the ministry of the gospel.